This is the Leading Second Podcast, where we're on a mission to raise up uncommon church builders and be the kind of leaders our pastors would kill to have on the team. The Leading Second Podcast releases every Thursday morning, so hit subscribe, share this with your team, and let's join Pastor Brandon Stewart for another vital conversation for all of us who lead from the middle. second welcome back to season four of the leading second podcast my name is brandon stewart so excited and really honored that you're here today uh, for another episode for all of us who lead from the middle uh, if you have a heart to get it right for your pastor if you serve on a church team in any capacity paid or unpaid we created leading second for you so welcome home today and uh hey so glad you're here i'm flying solo today uh, I wanted to come to you and share a message with you that is on my heart today. So um, I hope you're ready just to be encouraged uh, with some ministry wisdom today. I pray that it will help you in your own ministry journey. You know, however you're listening to this today, make sure and hit the subscribe button. We have a couple weeks left of every Thursday episodes before we take a summer break, uh, but we will be back in the fall with every Thursday episodes uh, for the rest of the year for season four. We have some great stuff ahead and we want you to be a part of it. Hey, on a personal note, though, a quick update from my world. Many of you have followed our family's story the past couple of months, uh, having a daughter born uh, prematurely at 29 weeks gestation and spending 51 days in the NICU. I am so excited to say that at the time of this episode releasing. Uh, We have been home with our baby girl, Glow Valentine, uh, for a week. And we are gloriously sleep deprived (laughs) and uh, absolutely in love with her. Our family feels so much more complete, oddly. We were so happy before and yet God has been so good. I want to say thank you to each of you who has prayed for us, who has encouraged us, who shared your own stories with us or even those that have reached out saying that our story has been an encouragement for you. That's what we're supposed to do, right? In these seasons as, as fellow brothers and sisters in crisis, we're supposed to stand together and walk together. And, you know, we try to do that for other people, but in this season we needed it and we got it from our tribe. So from the bottom of our heart, thank you. Thank you. And, um, we are uh, excited about the days ahead. I am excited for a few months from now when I can finally get a full night's sleep uh, again. And so we'll be believing for that day. Hey, today's uh, episode is brought to you by caffeine and uh, and sleep deprivation. <laughs> I hope it makes uh, sense to you, but we're going to have a great time today. Hey, the reason I wanted to come and steal this episode for myself today is that as it happens, uh, today... Uh, on uh, release day for this episode of the podcast is actually the day that I celebrate 20 years in full-time ministry. It was 20 years ago on June 3rd that I began um, my full-time ministry journey about 72 hours after graduating from Bible school. And my life has never been the same uh, having an opportunity now for two decades to serve Christ in the capacity of building his church in a full-time capacity. It has meant the world to me. 
And so I thought I would come to you today and share some thoughts that I've learned out of my own ministry journey. Uh, you know, some of these these lessons uh, I had to learn. Uh, most of them I did not start out knowing or learning. I didn't come from a ministry family or ministry background. I was just the kid who grew up in church who loved God and fell in love with the church and was completely unsatisfied with the thought of doing anything else with my life. I had a very, very good near full ride scholarships to universities of my choice graduating high school, but I ended up leaving it all behind to attend my church's two year old, no name Bible school with four students at the time. My graduating class had seven students in it in those early beginnings. And yet we just believed that God wanted to use us in a, in a specific way. And so I'm imagining today that we're sitting down and, and, and having coffee and that this is kind of my opportunity to share with you uh, some lessons and maybe my labor and maybe uh, my seed sown today could be your harvest. You know, maybe there's a thought in here, some wisdom in here uh, that you could grab that could fuel your own uh, journey in ministry in whatever capacity you serve. So that's my prayer. That's my heart in doing this episode today. A little bit of story time first, I uh, so you know a little bit more about my journey because I often don't get a chance to tell it. Uh, I grew up in the church that I now am a part of and lead in. So I've been a part of the same church for almost 40 years. Uh, I was the kid, like I mentioned, who, who just loved God and loved his church and kind of wanted to be there anytime the doors were open. Uh, when I graduated high school, I went to our two-year Bible school that was brand new. And after that, I uh, was given an opportunity. I was kind of put on loan from my pastor for a season. And uh, I got a chance. Uh, there was a church that we were connected with uh, very strongly that uh, had invited me to come and be their youth pastor. It was a church in the south suburbs of Min Minneapolis, Minnesota. And uh, so the first three and a half years of my ministry journey, I was a youth pastor. I was 20 years old when I started. I didn't know what in the world I was doing, but I had a heart to serve God. And I'm thankful, so deeply grateful to that pastor and his wife who gave, a, you know, this, this kid from a no-name Bible school a shot in ministry. Uh, they believed in me and fueled me. And, um, and I look back on that season so fondly. Uh, after I met my wife and we got married, in Minneapolis, God led us back home to my home church uh, here in Tacoma, Washington, Champion Center, where we have uh, served ever since. Uh, during that season, our our church launched a um, very small pastors gathering called Team Church, which has now grown into a very large network of churches all over North America, all over the world. We host an annual conference uh, that uh, that attracts thousands of leaders from hundreds of churches, and I am excited to release some details on on Team Church Conference 2021 very soon. So you'll want to pay attention to that. Um, and then I, I joined our church staff in uh, right after getting married. So I was on staff at our church for about a decade. Uh, my primary role was our small groups director, but you know how it is on church staff—you kind of do everything right. I joke that I did everything except women's ministry, except that's not even entirely true because our women's conference was growing and we needed volunteers. And of course, we want the women to attend the conference. So the men serve at the women's conference. And many of those years that I was on the staff, I recruited the men to serve 
at the women's conference. So I guess you could even say I did women's ministry for a period of time. So I kind of did everything and just, just always had a heart to say yes, you know, just always had a heart to bring the vision of my pastor to life and to equip leaders and to communicate a, a heart for our house, communicate culture. And uh, toward the end of my stint on staff, my decade on staff, uh, I think it was becoming obvious that something needed to change uh, for me and for my church, but none of us were sure what. And uh, in the fall of 2011, my pastor came to me and due to some of the effects of, of the recession that we were experiencing a few years prior, you know, we were still kind of in it as a church and uh, my pastor came to me and it was the right season for me to leave the staff. It was the right season for the church for me to leave the staff. And I tell that story in one of our earliest episodes, uh, you know, here on the podcast, uh, but God supernaturally opened a door out of that day uh, through my pastor's blessing for me to begin to serve the big C capital C church, you know, basing here at my home church, but traveling out and working with pastors and leaders, uh, all over the nation, all over North America, and even internationally. It started so small. You know, it started just by a couple of yeses, a couple of invitations, you know, started helping out with our team church conference more. But over the last nine and a half years, serving the body of Christ in the capacity that we do has become the great love of our family's life. I can't imagine doing anything else with my life uh, but serving the church and building it and, and equipping leaders. And so, uh, we did that for a few years in early 2018, we launched leading second. That was kind of our next chapter in ministry. And, um, also kind of took the helm officially of team church somewhere in there. And, you know, along the way, God has just kind of positioned us to do what was in our heart to do. That's a little bit of story time for me in case you haven't, you haven't heard it. I am, I am the church nerd, the church kid, who loved God and just always said yes and stayed planted and never went anywhere. And um, if you're listening to this today and you're serving in ministry, you probably are a bit like me and you just want to get it right for your church and for your pastor. I'm going to share with you for a few minutes, your 20 lessons from 20 years in ministry. Okay. I'm going to warn you. I have very few notes on this. We're just going to talk and have a conversation, but I've been writing some of these things over the last few weeks, getting ready for today. And I wanted to share them with you. The first thing that I felt to share with you today, 20 lessons from 20 years in ministry is this. God is faithful to prepare me for what he has already prepared for me. This is one of the great and earliest leadership lessons I learned in my life that diligence is my job, but preparation is God's job. God is in the preparation business. My first leadership lesson as a youth pastor in Minnesota. I've, I've taught it so many times since then. It's out of Psalm chapter 78, verse 70 through 72. And it says, and God chose David, his servant, and brought him from the sheep pen uh, to the palace, essentially from, from shepherding sheep to leading a nation that God brought David. He chose David. He prepared David. And for those of you who are starting in ministry today, or for those of you who are in the early days of your ministry, or even just believing God for more, I want to remind you that God is faithful to prepare you for what he has already prepared for you. The Bible says he's prepared good works in advance for you to do. And so it's like he's got it ready 
but now he's got to get you ready for what he already has ready for you. And I just wanted to say, looking back over 20 years, he was faithful. Some of the earliest mentors, some of the earliest conversations um, were perfectly preparing me for what God had already prepared for me. In fact, when I was an intern in Bible school, one of the things I would do, I had, I had a mentor who traveled internationally uh, to England and uh, coached pastors. And one of my jobs was to drive him to the airport. I did that so many times, drove him to the airport. And I remember even walking in with him, you know, this is back in the day we could walk in when you weren't flying. I know that I'm like ancient by being able to say that. Uh, but I'd go with him and hang out and we'd talk about what God was doing in his ministry. And, you know, little did I know that a little over 10 years later, uh, that God would, um, allow me to do the same thing. And so uh, I just want to remind you that God right now, you don't even see it all yet, but God is in the process of preparing you for what he's already prepared for you. The second lesson I've learned 20 years in ministry is this. I don't have to be best first noticed or celebrated to fulfill God's purpose for my life. This is really where leading second came from when I developed a conviction along the way that I don't have to be the best. I don't have to be first. I don't have to be noticed. I don't even have to be in charge. I don't have to be celebrated. No one has to see my faithfulness, but God, and I don't have to be the one getting the credit in order to fulfill God's purpose. I, I had to learn that lesson because God needed me to rely on him for my affirmation, for my acknowledgement, for my encouragement, for my direction rather than man. And so for those of you who are leading from the middle, let me just say it straight into your soul. You don't have to be best first noticed or celebrated to fulfill God's purpose for your life. You can do it right where God has you. Uh, which leads me to number three, third lesson, 20 years of ministry. God is more interested in who I am becoming than what I am doing. Man, it took me a long time to learn this one. God is more interested in becoming than what I am doing. I claim to be an Enneagram four, which there's jokes in my world as people who, um, who disagree with that. Uh, but it's true. Uh, but I do have a really strong three wing. I love, uh, I do love to achieve and I do love to accomplish. And often it was, you know, in, in the name of the Lord and in the name of building his church, it sounds good, right? I want to do all God has called me to do. It has a righteous kind of tone to it, but it took me a while to realize that God's primary purpose for my life, um, was not to use me, that that was the overflow because we're not saved by works. Works are simply the fruit of a life saved by grace. And so I had to realize that actually the, the primary work that God was doing in me was one of sanctification and one of, of, of holiness and purity and, you know, removing the rough edges from my life. Um, a life focused only on accomplishment will be tempted to shortcut to step on other people, to burn bridges, to pursue winning at all costs. I mean, you think about what can happen in your life if all you focus on is accomplishing something. I want to say it straight into your heart today. God is more interested in who you are becoming than what you are doing. Make no mistake, he'll use you and he'll use you greatly in ministry, but I don't believe that's his 
primary work. Character matters in ministry. Number four, and this is straight from the words of Jesus because I could never say it better. But number four, a lesson I've learned in 20 years of ministry is this. I find my life when I lose it. I find my life when I lose it. This is where the kingdom of God is just so upside down that we don't actually fight for our place, fight for our role, fight for our rights, fight for accomplishment, fight for credit. Actually, we surrender it all and we lay it all down. And Jesus said, you'll, you'll, you'll find your life only when you first lose it. Um, and I think I've come to realize, in, especially in this season, the last year or two, self-denial is one of the greatest missing attributes young, among young ministry leaders today. You know, it actually makes me a little nervous for, for um, ministry leaders who build a ministry philosophy that's all about you and all about how God wants to use you and all about your gifting and talent and strengths. I mean, there, there's time and a place to talk about that. But none of that was painted as a pathway by Jesus to finding your purpose. He actually said, you'll find it when you, when you lay your life down. In, in no moment of your ministry are you more Christ-like than when you sacrifice something about you for someone else's gain. And um, the moments of sacrifice in, in my ministry journey weren't easy. And they were costly. Um, but I look back now and I see a harvest from it. I actually think looking back, the only regret in that regard that I would have is that I didn't sacrifice more because now I see how God uses it. You'll lose your life if you try to hold on to it and try to find it, but you'll find your life when you lose it. Just sow it into the kingdom. Sow it into God's purpose. The, this question, by the way, is rooted simply in the question, do I trust God? Do I trust God? Okay, number five. And may, man, this may be a long podcast. You might need a couple commutes to work to get this one all down. Number five. Oh, this is so good. God spoke this to me in Israel a couple summers ago when I was there. Forget about being big. Obsess with being effective. Forget about being big. Obsess with being effective. So much I feel like about our ministry dialogue, especially on social media, has to do with church growth, your platform growing, your followers growing. You know, we, the bigger the stage you stand on, the more we celebrate it. You know, the more people you win to Christ, the more we celebrate it. Big, big, big is, is I feel like what is celebrated. And we've even said along the way that if you're not big, something's wrong. Or if you're not growing, something's wrong. I am painting a new target over my ministry, especially moving forward the next 20 years. I'm not going to worry about the size of our ministry. I'm going to obsess. And that's the word the Holy Spirit dropped in my heart. I'm going to obsess with being highly effective for the kingdom. I'm not going to worry about um, the numbers. They matter, but they matter in a, in a place and in a context. I'm going to obsess with the effectiveness of our work. I, God spoke this word to me when we were in Capernaum, and I've shared this on the podcast before. Capernaum, of course, uh, was Jesus' ministry headquarters, essentially. He was, he was born in Nazareth, but kind of headquartered in Capernaum. 
you know, I, I want to say it's like three quarters of Jesus recorded miracles happen in Capernaum. I mean, it's, it's, it's scripturally so important. And I was so excited to go there. And my first, you know, wow moment about Capernaum was how small it was. It, it, it was tiny. First century walls of the city. It was just small. And uh, it's in a rural area, you know, uh, in the Galilee area. And um, it was just small. And I kind of thought, man, this this is it. This is the mighty, mighty Capernaum, you know. Uh, but what I came to learn about Capernaum is that while it was small, it was strategically situated on a trade route. People that would come through the area would have to stay there. So this is why you see in Jesus' ministry the news about him would spread far and wide. That he may have lived somewhere small, but it was a highly effective location for his ministry. Now, Jesus visited big. He had big moments. You know, he visited Jerusalem, but he didn't live there. He actually never spent a night in Jerusalem. Uh, he visited big, but he lived in small. And someone listening today in ministry, that resonates with you. You're realizing you might have big moments, but you will not live in big moments. You will live in small moments. Obsess with being effective in the small moments and watch what God will do with your life. Number six, be easy to talk to about hard things. Be easy to talk to about hard things. One of the greatest leadership lessons I have learned from my pastor is he asks us, those of us that are in his airspace, just be easy to talk to when I need to come to you about something tough. Don't put up your defenses. Don't, don't try to cover your butt. Don't lie. You know, be honest. If you, the easier you are to talk to about hard things, the better wisdom and input and direction you're going to get from your pastor. And so maybe someone today, this is your lesson walking forward. I need to be better in those moments. I need to be easy to talk to about hard things. Number seven this is a newer one for me, but I've really been thinking about this, especially for my next years ahead. And that's this thought. My greatest accomplishment may not be something I do, but rather someone I raise up. My greatest accomplishment may not be something I do, but rather someone I raise up. You know what I'm doing for the next 20 years of my ministry is I'm reframing what a win looks like. And a win for me is no longer going to look like accomplishing something. My win now is going to be raising up a leader to accomplish something for Christ. And um, I think that's maybe the greatest definition of success is not succeeding yourself, but succeeding by helping others to succeed. And I want to do great things for God. I, man, I have more in the tank, you know, then I feel like I've spent in ministry. I just have so much in my heart. I want to do for the kingdom, but maybe, um, the greatest thing I'll do is actually raise up someone to go beyond me. And maybe those seeds, maybe those people are sitting right around me. It's my job to find them, identify them, just pour my life into them. I kind of a secondary thought to this that I heard, I didn't include it on my list, but it goes like this. It's not my job to fill someone else's bucket you know, because none of us are that good, but it is my job to pour my bucket into theirs. Maybe that's something we could all commit to today. 
Okay, I think we're on number eight. Number eight is this. Comparison is the greatest enemy of my purpose. Man, this has been a hard lesson to learn. Comparison is the greatest enemy of my purpose. It hit me the other day when I was thinking back, you know, to the earliest days of ministry. It hit me. Again, I'm going to sound really ancient here because I'm old now. I'm 40. Uh, I started in ministry in a day where we couldn't see what anyone else was doing in ministry. I mean, I had like seven or eight years of ministry under my belt before we had social media. I mean, outside of maybe going to a conference, which there were few back then, yeah, I, you know, my first conference was in Sydney, Australia, you know, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, besides that, we couldn't see what anyone else is doing. Therefore, I didn't actually deal with comparison because we couldn't see and compare. We just had to be faithful with what was in front of us, you know, what God had placed in front of us. And so the hundred kids in my first youth ministry, they were everything to me. I had no idea if it was a good youth ministry or a bad youth ministry. Uh, I couldn't tell because I couldn't compare. All I knew to do was pray and be faithful and build and invest. You know, in, in some ways I was probably a better pastor then because I had no lens, but the lens of building into, into their lives. And uh, comparison today is rotting so many of us in ministry because we just get sick. We get heart sick thinking that somehow we're missing the mark. You know, somehow uh, we're missing the boat. The ship has sailed. Somehow we're not measuring up and it has nothing to do with God's call. It has everything to do with looking at someone else's highlight reel, which may or may not be accurate or truthful mind you, but it's curated to look a certain way. And comparison is the great open door to lies from the enemy to be implanted into your heart and throw you off your ministry purpose. Someone today, this is your word. This is your harvest for you. Comparison is the greatest enemy of your purpose. Just be faithful right where you're at. Trust God to prepare you and take you where he wants to be faithful every day. Wake up with a yes in your heart. Say yes to be obedient to Christ and watch what he'll do and watch how you'll go the distance as well in ministry. Number nine, moving on to kind of a team concept here. Let the best idea win. <laughs> Let the best idea win. You have to understand why I included this. If you look on the strengths finder assessment, um, my number one strength is ideation. I love to talk ideas. It's part of what I love to do in coaching is I love to just come up with concepts and ideas that unlock something for someone else in their life and in ministry. What I had to realize though, and I've taught this many times, my ideas are some are often not the best. They're not priority and they're not the ones the team needs to go with. Uh, in fact, I had to learn along the way that I can lead without having to come up with every idea. I had to learn that to let the best idea win, that'll help you to go the distance in ministry if you learn to go with the consensus in the group rather than have to win and have your way. Number 10 is like it. 
I wrote this down for you today. Give it your all. Regardless of credit, positions, or titles. Just give it your all. This is a line stolen from our leading second creed. That um, you can go all in for your team, for the vision of the house, for your pastor, regardless of who gets the credit. You know, what position you have on the team, what title is in front of or behind your name. You can give it your all. That God's kingdom is so much bigger than those things. And God's kingdom deserves our, our very, very best. Staying with the team theme. Hope I'm not going too fast for you. Number 11 is this. Be undeterred by offense. Be undeterred by offense. I'll be honest with you. The greatest temptation I've had over the years in ministry to quit or to leave ministry has been because of offense. No doubt about it. This has been the great temptation to prematurely take an exit ramp. And I've had the opportunity. And there's even been times where I've even sought to exercise that opportunity. But if I would be honest with you in those moments, it wasn't because of purpose. It wasn't because of God. I mean, yeah, we could say what we want to say. Um, it was because I was hurting, hurting because of someone else. And I've had to learn over the years that offense will come. And if you're not offended now, you're going to have the opportunity at some point soon to be offended. Um, you're going to have to keep a, a, a um, soft heart, but develop really thick skin in ministry. That's if you want to be standing and, and, and go the distance to learn to be undeterred by offense. And uh, my prayer for you is if you're struggling through it today, that you would surrender it to the Lord. And allow him to, um, to come and help and heal that, that side of your life. Um, because he can and he will. And offense is not uh, permanent. But sometimes we make permanent decisions out of moments of hurt. It can alter the trajectory of our ministry. Be undeterred by offense. Number 12. Um, I wrote this down. My greatest moment of faithfulness is when no one else is watching. The greatest moment of faithfulness is when no one else is watching. So I grew up in a day where I heard a lot of teaching on faithfulness. And I always heard faithfulness taught of like, you know, being faithful, you know, will allow God to use you. You know, faithfulness comes before fruitfulness. And, and if I'm honest with you, what that built into me was a little bit of a tactic of, you know, if I'm just faithful, God's going to do more through me. God's going to use me. What I found, though, was that over the years in ministry, God has given me opportunities, <laughs> the privilege of him asking me to be faithful over something when someone might never notice, when I might never get the credit, but he asked me to do it anyways and be faithful which was important because it began to reveal to me uh, where my hope was. Was my hope in man and the promotion that would come from man, from my pastor, from other leaders, from people noticing me? Or was my hope going to be in the Lord? And if my hope was in the Lord and my promotion comes from the Lord, then the greatest moments of faithfulness in my life will be when only the Lord is watching and so I pray today that you would ask yourself, who is your promoter? Is it, 
Is it your pastor? Is it, you know, a leader, someone you admire? Uh, or is it God? Because if it's God, you can go to bed peaceful in your heart that you were faithful today. Even if no one saw you, he saw you. And he is the rewarder of those who are faithful. Number 13, changing gears a little bit because I want to include a couple of points on our, for our families. Number 13, I wrote this down, go all in for your family and your family will go all in for ministry. I think for any of us who are married, have children, you know, attempting to navigate family life and ministry life. I mean, if you're like me, I want my family to be all in for ministry. I drug my family around the the country in the early days of our serving the local church. Uh, man, we were crazy and crisscrossed this nation, you know, six week long trips and doing it with a toddler potty trainer on, on airplanes. I mean, it was, it was so crazy. I so badly want to have um, a family that's all in for ministry. But what I've come to realize is that's, an outcome, not a primary objective. My primary call and objective as a, as a husband, as a man, as a leader is to go all in for my family, to secure my family in my love for them in, um, the life that we are building together. You know, you've, you've heard it said the greatest ministry you'll ever do is in your home. And it's very true. I have found that the more I go all in for my family, the more my family wants to go all in for ministry. You know, with my with my now kids, but at the time with my daughter, when we brought her with us all the time, I I wanted her to add up that being a pastor's kid and being in ministry was a net positive in her life. Yes, there's moments of sacrifice. Yes, there's moments that are challenging, but I wanted her to add up. This is good. But the only way she's going to add that up is if she was secured in my love for her as her dad. In other words, I didn't want to lose my family on the altar of ministry, but I wanted to bring them along. But I do that by first seeing them as my greatest ministry. My grade is just go all in for your family first and watch how your family will go all in for ministry. Number 14 I heard this taught on a couple years ago at our team church conference by Dr. Darius Daniels. But this is really important. Number 14 is this. Uh, there's a backside to every blessing. <laughs> there's a backside to every blessing. In other words, we often want the front side of the blessing in ministry. We want to be used by God. We want to stand on the big stages. We want more notoriety. We want you know, more opportunity, more responsibility. I can't tell you how many Enneagram three executive pastors have coached over the course of time who want to do more for God, want to do more for their pastor. You know, give me another department, give me another area to lead more. Um, but we often forget that Jesus taught us to whom much is given, much is required. That with those greater opportunities come greater scrutiny. That with greater opportunities comes greater sacrifice. People often have, have commented to our family, you know, the last few years about, you know, how fun it looks to travel and build God's church in the capacity we get to. And it, it's a thrill. It's an honor. But I will let you know that it is very, very 
much a grind <laughs> behind the scenes. It never shows up on Instagram. You know, no one ever sees it. But there's tremendous sacrifice that goes into it. You know, it's easy to get up and say that my daughter had elite status on multiple airlines by the age of three, you know, or, you know, and stuff like that. Um, but people didn't see the nights with the tears, you know, when dad was leaving on a trip, the heaviness walking into the airport, being gone from my family for a few days, you know, the pangs of, of sacrifice for ministry would kick in and, uh, your story's going to be different. But I think you're going to come to realize that there's a backside to every blessing. So when you're praying and believing God for more, which you should, you know, should we run our race to win? Absolutely. But as you're doing that, just, just keep in mind, keep in mind that the more I get, the more responsibility I'm going to have to navigate and ask God for the wisdom first to do that. And I believe he'll be faithful and give it to you and help lead you and guide you through what he's calling you and asking you to do. Number 15, almost there, guys, is a thought we've taught on on the podcast before, um, but I wanted to share with you today, and that's this, ditch balance and embrace rhythm. Ditch balance and embrace rhythm. I still feel really strongly in ministry, even after a season for us in the last year or so of even relative rest. I have come to realize that balance is a myth. I I have never felt balanced in ministry. I don't feel like I see balance in Jesus' call to ministry uh, for the disciples and for the early church leaders. I don't feel like it's balance, you know, that sends Jesus to the cross to, to die for all humanity pay the price for our sins. It's not balance that sent church leaders to, to, to become martyrs, to move the church forward, to personally sacrifice for the kingdom. That doesn't sound like balance to me. Balance is often an American ideal and we want every life like perfectly packaged and positioned. And we're, you know, we're not willing to, um, you know, do something if it means being personally uncomfortable or something. I, I'm kind of not on the balance track anymore. I, I, I believe in rhythm. I believe we should embrace rhythm. Now, within rhythm, there are rhythms of rest, rhythms of renewal, also, also rhythms of work, you know, rhythms of, of, of uh, every part of your life, I believe, can be in rhythm. In other words, your marriage can be in rhythm. Your work can be in rhythm. Your fun can be in rhythm. Your, your relationship with each of your kids can be in rhythm. And so I'm kind of done finding the week in ministry that feels like it was the perfect week because 20 years in, I've never had one of those weeks. So either I'm doing something wrong or it doesn't exist. And I've never had a week that just felt like, like everything was perfectly in balance, but I have often, especially in these latter years, felt like I was able to achieve a great rhythm and run in rhythm. And I believe a marathon runner, you know, finishes the race because they ran in the right pace. And that's exactly what I want to do. Ditch balance and embrace rhythm. Number 16, stay planted because location matters. Being planted in the house of God is one of the earliest lessons I would teach in ministry. And yet I've just come to realize in the season we've walked through 2020 and 2021, uh, being planted matters where you're planted matters. And we've seen so many people in this season become transient in ministry 
um, I wanted to say to you today, stay planted and stay planted. It's not a question of if your life is planted somewhere. It's a question of where is your life planted in Psalm 92, 13, it says planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. The word planted is the word shathal. The word shathal is the idea of planted with an emphasis on location. In other words, when you read the, the text, it says planted in the house of the Lord, not just planted anywhere, but planted where location matters. And so today I just want to say to you, those of you who are, you have a heart for God and want to be used by God, stay planted in his house, stay planted in his church. We got to reject this idea that is seeking to tear down the, the organization of the church and the leadership of the church, really dangerous stuff going on in our culture right now. We can talk about some time. I just wanted to say deep to your deep into your heart, stay planted because location matters. Put down roots deep in God's house. Be unwavering in your commitment to it and watch how God will be faithful to you. His word said it planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still be green in old age. Even at 40, uh, you could still be green and bear fruit. Um, whatever you do will prosper. Uh, the Bible says uh, when your life is planted in the house. Number 17, I will lesson I've learned that I wanted to encourage you with play the long game, play the long game. Those of you who are 20, 22, 25, you are just getting started in ministry. I want you to be able to do a podcast at 20 years and 40 years and 60 years of faithful ministry. You got to play the long game. And the earlier you are in ministry, the more you're just laying foundation and groundwork for what's to come. Don't get caught up just in short-term wins and short-term fruit. It's only going to satisfy you for a minute. Some of the earliest years of our ministries are often just seeds sown for the future. It's really amazing. One of the members of our team and leading second uh, has been in my life nearly my, I mean, probably my entire ministry journey. He was, uh, he project managed this episode, in fact, and, uh, he was in my first youth ministry in Minnesota. And, um, you know, it's just amazing how there are seeds in your life right now and things God is doing that you'll look back later and realize God was more about the long game than we are sometimes. And God is raising up people around you, you know, to walk with you in ministry and serve in your ministry uh, so play the long game. Don't get caught up in short-term reward. Be okay with short-term sacrifice and short-term seed sowing because it will produce a long-term harvest. Um, the last couple of years, our family and our ministry has walked in a lot of blessing, but I believe it's because of some early seeds sown. Play the long game. Number 18, a lesson I learned was this. I relentlessly honor the giants who have gone before me. I, every single time I step on our platform at my home church, I say to myself, you know, I'm standing on a platform that I did not build. I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. I'll even say it often very publicly just to remind people, I do not feel entitled for what I get to do. I mean, Hey, even if it's just, we're standing on the shoulders of the earliest disciples who gave their lives often, you know, for the church, I'm, I'm standing on their shoulders here today. I'm standing on a platform I didn't build naturally or spiritually. Take the time regularly in your life to honor those who've gone before you. Say it. Reject entitlement. 
over your life that you somehow deserve the opportunity you've been given or are owed the opportunity you've been given. Make your life one as an echo of those who have faithfully served before you. Honor them, cheer them on. You know, I'll always carry a leader's bag or their Bible. You know, my pastor's not going to not going to walk out of a room without me serving him. If there's not someone else there to do it. Um, I really don't care if someone carries my stuff kind of over it. Uh, but I will always honor my pastor and other leaders in, in that regard in my life. Relentlessly honor the giants who have gone before me. A couple more really short land the plane. I'm a land the plane person. I learned on zoom calls and COVID <laughs> number 19 is this. My only regret in 20 years of ministry, my only regret is that I didn't trust God more. There were too many times along the way where I took, I took the controls. I took the reins and I tried to make it happen in my own strength, in my own timing, in my own tactics. And it always fell far short, I believe, of what God could do or would do. I have learned in this season, maybe it's just because God's brought me to a place and stripped me of some things. I have learned he is so trustworthy. He's so good. He will take care of you. It's not about what you want to accomplish. It's about what he's asking you to do. And if he's asked you to do it, he will be faithful to see it through. He'll be faithful to provide for it. He'll be faithful to make it happen. Um, my only regret, only regret in ministry is that I didn't trust God more. I didn't trust him often enough. If I had to go back, those are the moments that I think I would rewrite. And number 20, and I'll end it here for us today. The greatest lesson I have learned 20 years of ministry is this. It's about his church, not my ministry. I um, positioned this whole podcast today off of things I've learned in ministry. I've talked about my ministry. I've used that language. It's, it's fine. And it's okay to do that. Um, but really at the end of the day, it's not about my ministry. It's not about your ministry. It's not about the department you lead. It's not about the assignment you have. It's about his church. Jesus loves his church. He died for his church. We are simply wedding planners preparing a bride for wedding day. It is about his church. If, if you make your life about building God's church, if you make your life solely about that, watch how God will use you. Watch how God will take you places you never dreamed possible. I made a commitment with God about 10 years ago when we were transitioning to start serving outside of the walls of our church and the capacity we do now. The commitment I made to God was this, God, I'm not going to worry about trying to book up my schedule. I'm not going to worry about what I do, what I'm trying to accomplish I'm not going to worry about it. All I want to do is build your church. And God, if I build your church, will you build my house? I don't want to worry about building my house. I want to worry about building your church. And if I do that, will you just take care of me and take care of my family? And I can tell you that is a prayer God has answered over my life. That is a prayer that he has been so faithful over. And um, I can't wait to see you know what God will do the next 20 years, just continuing to wake up with that heart every single day. It's God, today is about your church, not about me. It's not about what I want to do. It's not about my agenda. It's about your agenda. It's about your church, not my ministry. God, I, I pray today, Lord, for any 
um, any leader listening to this, you know, over a half hour in, they obviously needed something today, Lord. And that something is you. Jesus, I pray today that some of these lessons that I've shared today, some are very hard fought and hard learned. God, I pray that my sacrifice and my, um, you know, the, the, the seed sown today, I pray that it would be someone else's harvest. I pray that in this would be words of life that would, that would bring forth a harvest of righteousness, Father, in a leader's life today. I pray, Jesus, that you'd give us all the grace to move forward. God, and as we, as we commit today to make our lives about your church and not about ourselves, Jesus, use us, position us, Lord Jesus. May we be effective, more effective than ever, Jesus, for your kingdom so that you would receive all the glory in, in the earth and, and your church would move forward. Your name, Jesus, would be lifted high that many, many would come to know you in this hour and in this day through our diligence and through our faithfulness. Bless them, God. Take care of them. Show them your favor, your presence, and your peace and your promise as they wake up today to serve you with all their heart. We love you, Jesus. And it is the honor of a life to be in ministry. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Hey, leading second, I would love you so much. I pray that today helped in some way. I kind of figured I would just have coffee with you and share some thoughts, chew on some things in there, find some scripture that match some of these, meditate on these, and I pray that it will fuel you in your own ministry journey. Hey, however you're listening to this today, hit the subscribe button. We have a couple great episodes coming up the next couple weeks. You're not going to want to miss them. Until then, leading second, let's run strong for the kingdom and lead in an uncommon way together. God bless you. For more information, check out leadingsecond.com. Follow us on Instagram at leadingsecond and join us on the Leading Second Collective on Facebook. Facebook.